after I do a short introduction. Last week, before we started our study, we looked at something that the minor prophet Amos said. Amos said in chapter 3, verse 3, unless two walk together, or how can two walk together, unless they agree. There's got to be that agreement. There's got to be that unity for two people to accomplish any purpose. Now, we should know biblically and definitely by experience that the answer to that question is definitely, no, two people cannot walk together unless there's an agreement. They'll never have perfect unity unless they come into an agreement. Now, the only way to walk in agreement with God is to live a life of obedience to his word. We're told in John 14, 15, that Jesus said that if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, the word agreement could, could, could cause us to think that there was some sort of negotiated agreement. But the agreement that we are to walk in with the Lord is to be unilateral. It's why we study his word. It's to receive from God and do the things that God has called and commanded us to do. And this is what the book of Leviticus is all about. Again, before it is the book of Exodus. Right after Exodus, there was all the details of the tabernacle and there was the giving of the law. But we know that there's going to be the breaking of the law. Again, 613 commandments. Average person can't even remember the Ten Commandments. But nonetheless, God, because of his great grace and mercy, he, he provided a solution for the breaking of the law. Something's going on over there. Uh, a solution for the breaking of the law, and we see it through the sacrifice. And so it's this unilateral agreement that as God has spoken to us, we are to keep his word. So God has promised to walk with Israel throughout their time in the wilderness and even into the promised land. But Israel would need to keep God's law if he was to remain in their midst. When man would break the law, when he would wander off course, wander away from the Lord, God gave them again that sacrificial system that would keep the agreement that he had with Israel. Last week we saw Moses... And we saw his mindset when God said that he would no longer walk in the wilderness with Israel in Exodus chapter 32. He said he would send an angel, but Moses didn't want an angel. He wanted the presence of God. He wanted to walk in agreement with God. It says in Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16, Then he said to him, then Moses said to God, If your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. It was essential to Moses that God would dwell in their presence. They were a stiff-necked people and they could be hard-hearted. And we can look at Israel and see or say what bad people they are, but we can be just as stiff-necked and hard-hearted as well. As we just sang, we thank you for his amazing grace. His amazing grace in that he continues to walk with us. So in your walk, will you walk with the Lord or will you walk alone? The choice is yours. Because we saw last week a series of if you, followed by God's response of I will. And so he is given, it's unilateral, it's directed by God, but God gives you the opportunity of obedience or disobedience. If you... Basically, if you keep my word, then I will bless you. If you, if you don't keep my word, if you walk in disobedience, if you wander off, then I will curse you. And again, the choice is man's. So in order to see what the Lord desires from us or of us, 
We are dividing this chapter into four main sections of requirements of obedience. Last week we looked at the first three. We saw adoration, verses 1 and 2. We saw a dedication, verses 3 through 13. A declaration, verse 14 through 31. So again, in way of review, you have to ask, speaking of this adoration, is God number one in your heart? And we saw that in verses 1 and 2. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set an engraved stone in your land and bow down to it. I am the Lord your God. Again, when it says Lord, all capital letters, speaking of Yahweh, it's what he spoke of and how he revealed himself to Moses just before Moses went into Egypt. I am. There's going to be a lot of gods that you run into as you go into Egypt, even as you come out of Egypt and as you wander in the wilderness. But God's point is, I am the God who is. And again, as you look at all of the plagues that came up against Egypt, this was God attacking all of the gods of the Egyptians and emerged victorious over each and every one. He goes on to say in verse 2, You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. This adoration that man has for God is to be expressed in giving him the worship, not only that he deserves, we've got to be of that mindset, but also the worship that he desires. They were not to worship on any high place. They were not to worship but anywhere, but how God had prescribed that they worship him and where God commanded that they worship him. We saw last week three main areas of true godly worship. First, the Lord commands that we would understand that he alone is God. Again, the last part of verse 1, I am the Lord your God. The God who truly exists is your God. Secondly, he expects us to respect the sanctuary. We see this in verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. Back then it was a tabernacle, soon to become a temple, but today it's our inner person as we are the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told that woman of the well in John chapter 4, verse 23 through 24, but the hour is coming, and now is, and I would say still is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. Now when it says spirit there, that's not Holy Spirit. The author even put a small s there. It's speaking of the person who I am, my personality. You will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. My spirit is that which communes with the Lord. Third, when he gives us, <clears throat> excuse me, he then gives us a reminder as a warning. <clears throat> Once again, the last part of verse 2, I am the Lord. This is the first commandment that the Lord gave Moses up on that mountain. Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. We're told that God is a very jealous God. He's not jealous of us, but he's jealous for us. Will not allow his worship to be given to anybody else. And just think again, when those commandments were being given up on that mountain, they were given under the threat of death. There was thunderings, there was lightnings, there was earthquakes, and there was like the power of Almighty God as His Word, as His commandments were given. And we can fast forward that for, <clears throat> excuse me, about 1,200 years, a Mount 
Mount Calvary, Jesus Christ on that cross, and there was thunderings and lightnings, and there was earthquakes, and again, it was the power of God that was defeating that which the law revealed, sin, and through sin, death. God's got his hand on the total plan. God is moving and ministering in the lives of men. So if you are obedient to God's law, then we are to make the proper sacrifice because we see now, well, the proper sacrifice being today, the Lord Jesus Christ, but back then, a dedication. There's secondly is a dedication, verses 3 through 13. It's when the if you, then the I wills will start. And so again, God pronouncing, if you're obedient to God's law, then, and make the proper sacrifice, then he will provide all of your needs, he will guard over you, he will shine his face on you, and he will dwell with you, and you will find freedom from sin. Then on the other side of the coin, we saw a declaration in verses 14 through 31. These are the results of breaking God's law and forsaking his solution. And again, a choice is implied with those two words that started off, but if, because again, God's saying, if you, then I will. But if you, if you, verse 14, do not obey me and do not observe all of these commands. And so again, there's the choice to be made. If man is disobedient to the Lord, then he will Well, man will experience disease, discouragement, and defeat. Man will be be broken, reduced, disturbed, and man will be eventually destroyed. And so we looked at all this, and we needed to consider what category are we in? Not the church, but the United States of America. Because we see Israel, you can look at nation Israel, they were, well, they were obedient for a period of time, kind of on and off, but eventually they were disobedient to God. And God, well, all those curses that he said he would bring up against them, history bears it out, he brought up against them. And so I look at our nation today and just so many things are going on, or even the world situation, so many things going on. And I can see these things playing out as well, that God's taken his hand of protection off us to a degree, and and it's almost as if he's just allowing these things to come as a wake-up call. We see the natural disasters that we've been experiencing in the last, really in the last 10 or 15 years. Again, these earthquakes that seem to be hitting more populated country or uh, areas of the countries. You know, tsunamis that are hitting. We had two big disasters from tsunamis. And all of these things, and they just seem to to keep amplifying. This past week, there was an earthquake, and you heard the tsunami warning, and you're thinking, oh, great, what's going to happen now? And God does all of these things to get our attention. He's not necessarily going to get the attention of the world because the world doesn't know him, but he needs to get our attention because we need to be obedient to the call of God. We need to be going out and making disciples. We need to be setting the example and giving God the glory that we would receive the blessings that he has for mankind. And I'm not talking about an easy life, but just a life that knows that we're walking in victory in the Lord. When I had the opportunity to go and to minister to Tom Pelfrey's wife, again, a new born-again believer, but one who's still experiencing cancer and very well, very likely is going to take her life unless the Lord truly intervenes and kind of going there and you think, okay, well, what do I say? You know, Tom's heartbroken and this lady's experiencing something that I've never even experienced, not firsthand. And what do you say? Well, she's a born-again believer now and 
I can imagine I'd be pretty anxious if I was going through that, either if I was going through that if my wife was there or if I was the one in bed. So I read Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the blessing that I want. I want the peace of God that's going to guard my heart and my mind as I see the things that are going on in the world, as I'm ministering in the midst of all that's going on in the world, as I'm ministering to people who are going through life-changing situations and circumstances, that God would guard my heart and my mind, that he would make me enabled for that work of ministry, that I can offer that which God has given me. And and again, I pray that not because I'm a pastor again, it's because I'm a Christian, and it needs to be the same way with us all that God would prepare us for whatever good work that we have in the midst of of this hardship that's going on. Because what does God want to do? Well, he's bringing these things that, you know, upon our nation, upon the world, again, for a wake-up call. But who is it that's got to wake up? It's got to be us who are the ones who've got to wake up. And it's got to be us who move forward in obedience to the Lord. So now we enter into our fourth point. Our fourth point is a decision starting at verse 32. We first need to ask ourselves, do we want what they got? Do we want what Israel ended up getting? Since judgment starts at the house of God, we truly need to consider ourselves. We need to consider ourselves and our obedience to God and the things of the Lord because there was a point in history, about 580 B.C., that Judah fell to Babylon. Because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion against God, because, again, they, they more closely match verse 14 and on, they did not obey God. And since they didn't obey God, God allowed those curses that he said would happen to enter in. Well, we serve the same God. And we're children of God. And if we're disobedience to the Lord, those things will fall upon, will fall upon us and those whom we love and those whom we minister to. So it's important to understand that this was not a rogue nation as far as Babylon coming in, but God's will using the nations of the Middle East as punishment against his people. Again, we need to see that in this world situation. God back then, think of yourself as Israel, using these nations in the Middle East against, I know Israel was in the Middle East, but these surrounding nations, and God's doing the same thing today. And again, we're isolated and we can so easily think that we're safe, but every so often, God pulls back that curtain of protection. And as he pulls back that curtain of protection, he does so for a wake-up call that we would seek after the Lord. Now, Jeremiah, go turn over there to Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 4 through 11. We haven't studied the book of Jeremiah. We'll get there after Isaiah, about five years from now. Jeremiah 25, verses 4 through 11. God gave this to the prophet Jeremiah so that he would tell the people. Now, when we studied Ezekiel, we saw that Ezekiel was brought into captivity and he was brought into Babylon. And so his perspective was from Babylon, the prophecies that he was given and the things that he was saying. Jeremiah was left back in Judah during the Babylonian captivity. So his perspective is from the area of Judah. So in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 4, it says, and this relates back to what we're looking at back in Leviticus, it says, And the Lord sent to you 
all his servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but you have not listened nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, Repent now every one of his evil way and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers forever and ever. So stop doing what you're doing. Stop going in the wrong direction and start going in God's direction. Verse 6, do not go after other gods, that's a small g gods there, to serve them and worship them and to not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, or because of this, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, or check it out, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. Now, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't saved. It seems like possibly when we were studying Daniel, we saw this, that maybe he got saved at some point. But at this point, why is he God's servant? Because God is using him as a tool for what God wants to achieve in Israel says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them, and making them an astonishment, a hissing, and a perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, and the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, Daniel, because he was a man of God's word, he started preparing through prayer. Because in Daniel chapter 9, it's about 70 years. It's about 70 years, and he knew of the word that Jeremiah had written. If you're going to be disappointed, I'm going to bring Nebuchadnezzar and bring you into captivity. He understood that. That happened. He experienced it. He's in Babylon at the time. He's even in Nebuchadnezzar's court. But he knew of the word of God because, again, verse 11 of chapter 25, the last part, they're going to serve the king of Babylon. Now, king's going to change, but the king of Babylon, 70 years. Well, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, I'm sorry, Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face towards the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And so God said that if you guys are disobedient, if you guys worship false idols, I'm going to bring nations against you. And so Israel did that. I say Israel, the kingdom was divided as we know, and the northern kingdom was brought into Assyrian captivity. Now this... Jeremiah and Daniel are speaking of the southern kingdom, Judah. Judah did the same thing as its evil sister Israel did, the northern kingdom, and they were brought into Babylonian captivity. Now, David's understanding all of this. This is by the hand of God. Nebuchadnezzar, he's a servant of God. God is using him to work all this because of the disobedience of the people. Now, Daniel, about the time of Daniel chapter 9, is realizing 70 years, this is about up. And so that means that God is going to be releasing us, and we know that that occurred, back into our homeland. And so what did he do? Was it partying and celebrating? No. He said, I set my face towards the Lord God 
to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. He was praying and he was mourning for his people because God is being gracious. He's understanding this amazing grace and the magnitude of the amazing grace. But he also understands the magnitude of the hardness and the sti- of their hearts and the stiffness of their necks. Lord, far be it that we would go back and just do the same things over and over and over again. Well, when we studied the minor prophets, we saw that they did pretty much the same thing over again. When we looked at Ezra and we looked at Nehemiah, Nehemiah leaves town, he comes back and he realizes that they're not obeying the Sabbath. He realizes that Gentiles are allowed into the, into the temple and he's beside themselves to such a degree. It says he pulled out the hair of their beards and he expelled them out. I mean, he was just, here. you know, we just got out of captivity and now you guys are doing this again? And, and he just couldn't believe it because you've got to understand the reality of what disobedience to a holy God causes. And again, we need to understand that as well because we get such great grace, amazing grace, but I got to understand the magnitude of the reality of disobedience to God as a born-again believer. That God brought me into the kingdom of heaven. I don't deserve to be here. God forgave me my sins and gave me eternity, and I don't deserve that. And as all he asks is, is that I would be obedient to him. And so, are we walking in obedience to the Lord? It's a question each and every one of us has to answer. And so... Here we have this, this list, this list that exists in the following verses that we'll look at tonight. And they have a decision to make because God's punishments are going to be listed here. And the first punishment we see is a national despondency, verses 32 through 35. I will bring, on the, land, I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. And that's more than likely what happened back in Jeremiah and Daniel's day. Because they weren't celebrating the Sabbath as they were commanded to, God says, okay, if you're not going to celebrate the Sabbath, if you're not going to give the land every seven years, that seventh year off, then I will remove you from the land and I'll give, you the, land, I'll give the land the time off. And again, wouldn't it be an amazing thing? We looked at it a couple of weeks ago when we were studying the Sabbath. Every seventh year, wouldn't you just love to have that year off? And again, you're thinking, well, <laughs> that'd be really nice, but can't really possibly happen. Well, that was the problem with the Jews. They were commanded to do it, and they had that same mindset, but they're of the mindset, how can I possibly take a year off? Well, you can, because God said that you could. And God said in that sixth year, he will provide double. He would provide enough for you to take every seventh year off. I would love to take every seventh year off. I mean, it would be a blessing to be able to spend it. The idea was to spend it with family and to keep that connection and rest from your work and be prepared for the next six years of work. But the people weren't doing that. And so he's saying there's going to be national repercussion when God's people do not walk in agreement with him. And we seem to be a nation that was so close to God at our birth 
and through times of trials. But we as a nation, it seems as, we want nothing to do with God during the times of peace and serenity. Even during those times when things start getting hard, it's not until times like 911 occur and we saw on the steps of Congress that there was national prayer, but even that only lasted for a few weeks. And now we as a nation have turned once again away from God. <clears throat> Isaiah and his precursor to Babylonian captivity spoke on this in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 4, 4 through 9. He says, Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? Will you revolt more and more? The whole land, I'm sorry, the whole head is sick and the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There's no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. There's going to be repercussions, national repercussions for national disobedience. Secondly, God's punishment will also include personal despair. Verse 36 and 37. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts, into the lands of their enemies. A sound of shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another as it were, before a sword when no one pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. The theme here is a lack of any kind of personal security. The Holy Spirit has convicted such a people of judgment to come, and people expect it, but when the Holy Spirit convicts the world of the judgment to come, there's absolutely no security in it. You run and you strive to find that which is going to soothe the conscience, but the conscience of the world has been struck. Even though it's callous as it is, to such a degree, they don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear about it. They don't want to hear what we have to say, and they're trying to stop the witness and the word of God as we try to speak it, but nonetheless, as God has commanded, we can't, because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. We've read to the end of the book and we see it coming. We try to deny it and said we. We try to deny it as a nation that, well, it's just some radicals. It's just radical Islam and it's not, and we make all of these excuses, but the reality, have we ever seen anything like this before? Have you ever seen anything like the brutality of ISIS? I was reading an article and they were speaking of some equals to what ISIS is doing and spoke of Nazi Germany, and it spoke of, uh, uh, I can't remember what, the, oh, Cambodia. And it says at least they tried to hide what they were doing, but we see ISIS is up front, and, and they're out there. And we're seeing things that we have never seen before. Could it possibly be that God is kind of amping things up? And then you see these things, such as those poor souls, those born-again believers who were killed for their faith, I think it was last Sunday, those Coptic Christians who were murdered. 
and just thinking, what if, what if they came for, for me? Would I be able to stand for the Lord? Would I be able to stand for the Lord to the degree that those people were standing before the Lord, or standing for the Lord? Or, or what if they came for my, my children or, or even my grandchildren? And I see these people and, and, and I see the strong faith do they, that they have. Do we have that strong faith? And then there's that little bit of insecurity. Would I, or what, what, what if they came? What if they came here in this nation? I don't know how far away they are. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee when no one pursues. They're looking over their shoulder all the time. There's a contrast here. It's the wicked, the ones who are disobedient to God's word are insecure, and again, always looking over their shoulder. They have come to the convictions of their actions and know that there's going to be repercussions. These people cannot walk with God because they know that punishment is forthcoming. Remember Adam? He used to walk with God in the coolness of the day. But what happened when he sinned? He was hiding in the bushes. There was no agreement anymore. He knew he could not walk with God. But the righteous, the righteous are as confident as a young lion, even in the face of opposition. When you're as bold as a lion, you fear nobody else in the jungle. These people are confident that God is on their side. Their conscience is at rest. And whatever happens, they know that they are safe in the arms of the Lord. And again, it really boils down to a consideration of the conscience or your ear for the Holy Spirit. If you have an ear for the Holy Spirit and your conscience is pure before God, you will find peace even in the midst of the tribulation that we see going on across the world. If you don't, there's always that knowledge that judgment is coming. Because again, what does the Holy Spirit do? John chapter 16 convicts the world of sin, that they're sinners, of righteousness, that there is a God, and of judgment, that judgment is coming. So even the most adamant of atheists, he's convicted of those things. And he doesn't like it when we remind them of it, but we have a responsibility to speak God's word. God's punishment. God's punishment will include a physical demise. Verse 38, you shall perish among the nations and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. Ever think what happens if the United States of America becomes conquered by another nation? We kind of closed with that last week. But what is it to be under the control of another nation? What happens when our freedom and our national identity is taken away? What happens when the world enters in or those who are contrary us have control over us? There was a psalmist, Asaph, that he wrote in Psalm 42, it's a very interesting psalm. I'm sorry, it's Korah, not Asaph. But it's as if he's being led away captive, that he was there during that time, and he's looking back at the good old days. Let me read it, Psalm 42. It says, to the chief musician, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continue to say to me, where is your God? So again, it's as if he's been taken captive and being led and looking back at the temple as he's able to, or as he's about to cross over the ridge, if you will. And the enemies are mocking. Where is your God now? Verse four says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went up with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim's, pilgrim feast. Why are you so cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Again, the heartbreak of being taken away and the remembrance of being able to go in and to live the life as they live their life every day, the worship of the Lord, going into the, the house of God and all of these things. And now the probability or the possibility of these things never happening again. And then lastly, God's punishment will include moral decay. Verse 39. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity and their enemies' lands. Also in their father's iniquity, which are with them, they shall waste away. This is a country that wastes away in 50 shades of gray. You know, we've got this pornography movie that's making such headlines and has become so popular. Uh, I say that. From what I've heard, I haven't seen it, not going to see it, but it's just a shame that we've gone to that place. We've gone to the place that things like that, things is sin, and that's basically what it is, has become so popular and so desirous. And again, we see these things are judgments of God upon the land. And the thing about it is, we can look back in history and see it and see what happened with Israel. We can look at our country and we can see these things going on now. We see them. And it needs to be something that motivates us, that sends us in the direction that God would desire. Lastly, God always leaves man with hope as he speaks of the restoration that repentance will bring. Verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember. I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them, and will employ its Sabbaths while while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt, because they despised my judgments, and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. And so what we have here is, again, the responsibility. It's the perspective from where we need to see it. 
the responsibility that we have to be faithful and to continue to make disciples, to see people be saved and come into the kingdom of heaven through the sharing of the gospel, but also to see them grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Tom called me yesterday, and, and uh, it was hard to hear his voice. He was broken up by what was going on. But then, you know, his voice all of a sudden got real level, and he says, but pastor, it's all worth it. She got saved. She got saved. And that's what makes all the difference. Because as bad as all these things are, as bad as we read in the future it's going to get, God's always got his righteous remnant. He's got his righteous remnant for the purpose of restoration because once again, as long as man can draw breath, man can repent and get right with God. And God has said, if you return to me, I'll return to you. Or if you start over with me, I'm willing to start over with you. But just one, as we close, one last if-then statement, different section of Scripture, 2 Chronicles 7.14, if, and it's a big word, if, if my people, such as Christians, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And so, Father, I just pray that we would be such a people, that we would be a people, Lord, who would humble ourselves, pray and seek after your face, that we would turn from our wicked ways and we would turn towards righteousness and holiness, Father, for the sake of Christianity, for the sake of the witness, for the sake of the work that you want to do, that, Father, we would not be left out or set on a shelf, but, Lord, I pray that we would be all in, that we would be involved, that we would live our Christian lives to the fullest, that, Father, we would, we would not hide it under a basket, but, Father, we would truly let our light shine for all to see. And so, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Enable us, Lord, for your purposes, that, Lord, if we do these things, then we would see your hand move in this nation in such a mighty way. And so, Father, we just thank you for your word once again, <clears throat> and we just pray, Father, that you would bless us as we walk in it, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. You all stand, please.